Now, one of the great things about uh, having this radio show on Absolute Radio is I get to talk to people that I want to talk to because they've influenced me and they've inspired me and they've kind of helped me kind of get me to where I want to be as an artist. And, and right now I get to talk to an artist that I've been dying to talk to for since the beginning of doing my Absolute Radio show, um, otherwise known as the Wizard Wiz. <laughs> it's Jerry C.A. Um, hello, how are you? It's so wonderful to get I'm to talk to you. I'm marvelous. Uh, it's early in the morning here in Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, and, and and I went to sleep early for this interview because I'm excited to speak to you. Oh, thank you so much. Me too. Me too. And, you know, I have to tell you, I mean, I hope it, it's not too brown nosy, but um, Cass Lewis, my bass player, we were just talking about him, but he introduced me to Mother's Finest, like when I first okay. met him. I was raised on like reggae and Bob Marley. So I have to, I had to discover so much when I got into my teenage years and then I met Cass and he introduced me to so much more stuff. And so we used to, like, in rehearsals in those early days, play the records and Mother, Mother's Finest. Then you guys came to Brixton Academy with George Clinton. I don't know if you remember uh, that. Were you there? I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. And I that blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, okay, George Clinton ended up with, like, six guitarists all soloing on stage. But I remember you guys because it's like I'd never seen a, like an all black band or nearly an all black band before. You know, of course you had uh, Glenn Dot Murdoch on uh, on guitar, but it was I remember it was just the the grooves. It was rock and it had an energy to it, but it grooved. We were like dancing and I was right in the front row, <laughs> <laughs> swinging my head like I was like, this is great. This is kind of like the music that we should be making, Cass. You know, this is what we should be doing. Because I think we were in a, Cass and I were in a band called Mama Wild before Skunk and Nancy. Um, and yeah. we were really just developing our sound. Um, and so what, what was it like in those early days? You know, that that gig changed my life and I think changed a lot of Londoners' life. We were in this little scene called um, Splash Club scene in King's Cross and we all came down and it was just amazing. So thank you firstly and foremostly for that, for that gig. Do, do you wait, remember wait, wait, it? I, I, wait, one other thing about that gig. You know who was at that gig is Seal. Yes. And his was. record was just about to come out. And I remember we caught a taxi together because we were going to the same hotel. Ah. And I met him for the first time after the show, and he was telling me about his music that was coming out, and uh, and I was saying, okay, okay. And then that record came out, it just blew up. It just blew, right? I, I, yeah. I, I knew you still from the Adamski uh, killer days, you know, before that all kind of went crazy, but yeah. And the, I mean, we, we if there was a black person into rock, they were at that gig. It was probably the most <laughs> legendary gig of all time for us, especially like, being rockers and you know the industry didn't really accept it especially in England I think it's a little bit better in America but in England it was just such a weird thing so thank you for that you I'm know, really, England has always been the go-to location for artists of color from America yes I mean, from Jimi Hendrix and even before that with like um Little Richard and and even you know like John Lee Hooker everybody had to come to Europe and then everything and say, okay this is great because in America, it was, you know, it was hard to break that wall, you know? Hendrix was a huge influence on me. I'm actually, like, I just finished writing an autobiography. Cool. I've been writing this for like seven years and it's, I love it. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and it's not because I wrote it, but it's because of what came out of me going there. And I answered a lot of questions about myself and about the way society worked. You know, like I, wrote a lot about the things that were going on 
through my life as I was growing up. And I started from birth, like the editor said, let's start from the beginning. I was going to start at 17 when I left high school. I left high school and I joined Mother's Finest right out of high school. But, but didn't you but didn't you start playing with Jackie Wilson at 13? I started That's, playing bass yeah. when I was like about seven or eight. Played with my brother's band, you Frankie. know, like at the club mm. when I was like 11 or 12. And I played with Jackie Wilson, yeah, when I was 13 or 14. And that was through my brother, Frank, who was my older brother. I have a, my whole family, everybody plays music. My mother, yeah. my father, 12 children. That's right, six brothers and six play. sisters. I was trying to imagine it, having six brothers and six sisters, each playing an instrument. <laughs> what was it you like know, in that it household? Was, it was always hard to find an instrument because they were taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give it a bass. <laughs> so you started, so you, I mean, that's, that's kind of like crazy. You started so young and you started touring so young. I, I yeah. mean, I, th I think it's just a blessed thing that you worked out so young what you wanted to do, because that's probably the biggest question people ask me is like, you know, I don't know what I want to do. What should I do? And I'm like, yeah, I know what I wanted to do. Um, and But you knew what, it, what you wanted to do from like seven, eight years old. Well, you know, when I was writing my book, I realized that like I watched my mother when she was pregnant with the children after me. And my mother used to play the piano. She would wake up and she would play the piano and her stomach was up there. And like it was actually touching the piano while she was playing. And I was getting my whole direction when I was in the womb. You yeah. Know, she, she was singing her heart out and she was playing these songs she was writing. And then my father would get on the piano and he he used to play like ragtime, jazz, boogie woogie stuff that was like wicked. And like, so I was hearing all that stuff as I was being conceived. So it was exciting to me. I mean, that was it. And like, I remember when I was old enough to walk and, I used to walk down the hall and I would see an instrument and I would touch it, you know, and I would always glist my fingers down the piano keys when I walked by to go to the kitchen. And so like, yeah, music always struck a chord with me. Yeah. To where I say, yeah, I like this, the, the sounds and what, you know, the creation of it. Yeah. It's kind of like I me mean, for me when I was young, like music was just a relief because so much stuff. I'm from like an inner city place called Brixton. And, uh, you know, it was rough growing up. It's a very poor place. And but, you know, music seemed to be this one thing where people just could come together and just get some relief from the everyday grind of growing up black in England. You know, you know what I found out skin about my life is like I did a lot of research. I went to my cousins and uncles, everyone before me to get to go back as far as possible. And I realized that like my ancestors, even back in slavery, like my great, great grandfathers was the one that would bring out the ukulele and play the music at night after a hard day was over so everybody could party and they, they were the ones playing the music. Yeah. And so it all it generated all the way down into the Chitlin circuit. And, you know, my father used to dress up like uh, Kev Calloway, you know, and he was an artist, you know, he, just old school entertainment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like from the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. And uh, so that th that music vein has been in my, has been in my uh, DNA. <laughs> in yeah. my DNA. Yeah. Yes. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I feel the same. I feel that there's a, there's something in there that is just part of us. It's part of how we just view life. We can view life through music in some yeah. ways because it's so, it's so deep within us. I mean, you're, um, you know, I know, you, as I said before, you started super early in your life. And 
And then you found Joyce and you, you know, baby Jean Kennedy and you found um, Guy Moses and uh, and everybody. I mean, what was it like being kind of a rock musician in those days or being into the, the funk and the soul and being into everything in those early days in, in uh, Miami? Well, you know, I felt like it was fate the way that it all came t- together. Hmm. I was having dreams of... Uh, you know, the kind of music I wanted. I was just discovering Hendrix and Led Zeppelin and Sly and the Family Stone. And I said, I want that stuff. I mean, cause like, you know, I was just a soul brother and James Brown was like the guru for me. Yeah. But, 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 but that was amazingly exciting. I saw James Brown in 1968. Wow. For the first time. And, and like, he was like in his twenties and, and like, you know, everybody, like when they talk about James Brown, they talk about him like in the eighties and the nineties, they say, no, 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 no. You got to go back. You <laughs> yeah. don't understand the impression that like he, he made on me. I, you know, I went to that show and it was like going to a revival and I went home dreaming of being a part of something like that. So powerful, uncontrollable movements. I couldn't control myself. You know, James Brown was, he was, it was a mother popcorn tour. And <laughs> 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 I mean, it was just so amazing. He, he wow. had a perfect band. He had four drummers. And like it was like it was it, it was straight out of Africa. And I say, yeah, yeah, this is this this is the stuff. And then uh the, the next year, you know, like the British invasion was coming to America, you know. I remember the animals, we gotta get out of this place. That was a yeah. big I, for some reason I used to sing that song at the top of my voice, and it was a, the chorus came around. And uh so I start, you know. I I stopped, I, I blurred the lines of what was black and white. I just like whatever I liked, you know? And, um, but I always liked the electric stuff that was voluminous and with hard grooves. Mm. Yeah. It, it, you, it was turned up, turned up the fuzz there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, just like what you guys are doing. Every time I hear Skanka Nunza, you guys are like push, you were pushing the barrier, you know? And that's a wonderful thing when an artist uh, get outside the box, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it's just kind of like, I liked what I liked, you know? And right. it, was, uh, it was kind of um, in those early days, especially which why you guys were such a, I mean, Parliament Funkadelic, as you say, Bootsy Collins, all of that kind of more bluesy and funky soul stuff, which we just didn't have in England in the same way. So we were always looking to America. But at the same time, you know, we're English, so we're not going to do that. We're going to do it our way with our British accent, you know. And we're going <laughs> to do you know what I mean? Um, and I, I think it's just it was just about doing what you want to do and feeling, uh, you know, when I sang rock music, it felt very natural and very normal to me. But when I sang reggae, it was like odd. I couldn't sing like that. So I think it's just about just doing what we want to do. I feel like the musicians and some of the bands that you toured with and some of those people really understood the band. I mean, you toured with ACDC and The Who and, you know, a lot of English bands as well, actually, Black Sabbath. Um, but then how did the industry take towards you? Because I know that, uh, it, you know, they found it, they tried to change you at some point. Was it RCA that were trying to like well, make yeah, change you know, sound? We had a weird experience with our first recording contract with RCA. And uh, it was a bad experience. We hated it. Yeah. We hated the production and where they was trying to direct us and stuff. And uh, but when I look back on it now, it, it was a it, it was a pivotal step that we needed to take to go on to go forward. 
And then we eventually got signed to CBS. CBS was great. Yeah. You know, they signed us and they say, you, you know, you guys do what you do. And they gave us, you know, like, like uh, back in those days, they weren't looking for an immediate hit. They wanted us to develop our sound as they paid us to record and everything. I mean, you know, you get in their pocket in a weird way, but the freedom that we had to be musicians and to live off of what we were creating was, was you know, was done by signing with CBS. Yeah. And we got endorsements and we got management. Uh, we changed managements to Libra and Krebs back in uh, 70, six and the first tour they put us on was the who wow and it was with and, and that was back when keith moon was still alive and john it whistle and like uh i love that band my generation when i was a kid yeah. I said, okay okay the who pete townsend is such a hero of mine but we played with those guys and it was really like going to school i mean when you play with the who like we actually started the tour thinking that we were going to blow them off the stage we say oh, okay <laughs> be going after these guys and we played the show in phoenix and it was a great show that we did we, and, and and you know we could have gone back for an encore but time didn't permit it and then the who came on and i was going out there like you know kind of full of myself <laughs> and after the and after the first note i forgot who i was they were wow. so they were so um engaging i mean like they just take you away yeah the chemistry of the band which is very unusual they have a busy drummer and a busy bass player and the guitar player is the grounding source of the band mm. when it's usually the bass player that's the grounding source and you know something you know but it, it was yeah, exactly. all exactly you know you got the roots and the bass and the drums right right and everyone else can just together. we can all just float on top <laughs> right so you know that was like a big growth spurt for us showing with those guys we did a lot of shows with ted nugent we we ran the ted nugent all the time we had the same management yeah a lot of shows but but the first time ACDC came to America, they opened for, it was ACDC, Mother's Finest, REO Speedwagon. Wow. And nobody knew who ACDC was. <laughs> <laughs> and after they played, everybody knew. Everybody knew. That was just that was one amazing. of those bands. And there's been nothing, never been anything like them, really. And that was with Bon Scott mm. and uh, amazing. And then we went on to do the Highway to Hell tour. And uh, that was amazing the power yeah. so you know we you know mf was was uh you know it's it's really wonderful when you can be powerful with a groove you know i love you know the power like like a jimmy was was definitely going there sign the family stone was there i mean they were all yeah. about grooves but with the psychedelic power and everything and like jimmy was like an alien from whatever but you know all of that stuff was influenced in me and 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 you know the bombasticness of zeppelin and but uh but but you know playing with all of the most powerful acts on the planet like black sabbath we did black sabbath tour played with uh humble pie mm. and that was just before peter frampton left them that was uh so weird he left <laughs> and did his solo record and blew up yeah yeah and, but, but yeah but the history of it and playing uh with all of the rock bands but then like what you were saying about we were directed to do something more R&B mm. after we did two records with CBS. I remember the brothers in, in the R&B department, they said, when are y'all going to do something for the brothers? <laughs> and uh, and no, no. You're like, you're like, no, we are. <laughs> I know, I know. We I know, are, you know, you know. That was the first um, 
first reaction. But then we actually did that Mother Factor record, which was more funk driven. And yeah. like, um, it has success. Uh, Love Changes was a top 10 R&B song. And uh, we did all the tours with that. Uh, but it, 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 behind the scenes, it was amazing fun. We toured with Larry Graham and Graham to the station. Uh, wow. Lucy Collins, Parliament Funkadelic, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Brothers Johnson, Heat Wave, which is mm. so it's an underrated band. They were so amazing live. Mm. But, you know, like we, but, you know, the thing with MF is we could wear both shoes easily. Yeah. But we were kind of demented kids that needed to turn up. <laughs> we wanted, we wanted to. <laughs> because then you do your first albums, and then you then you just smashed it with the you know nineteen eighty one with the, you know the full force um, rock album. You know, and what's it called? Iron Age? Was it called Iron Age? Oh, Iron Age. You know, yeah. you know so I think it's, yeah. my favorite is rock rock and roll tonight. That's my favorite track from that oh, one. God. That, that I, beginning I, of that track is just like song. whoa. I wrote that song. Oh, you wrote that, that song. song? Okay. I wrote that song like in five minutes. I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> but the Iron Age record was an integral reaction from the band from going to Mother Factor. Mm. So we went all the way to R&B and then all the way to Bliss Rock. Yeah. And um, a lot of people had a hard time with what we were doing. And at the time, we could care less. You know, like we were at, at that time in our lives, we were not sitting around thinking about the future and about what we were going to be and whatever we would just say but now we we you know we we've got to do this yeah and yeah it's a great record <laughs> all right that's great to hear yeah, but see I, you <laughs> you would love it yeah i love it i mean i love that you know i love the very early stuff you know the original um you know mother's finest and you know the right. first two records and then i that one again it's just like you know because you 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 love the first rocky you know, little baby love and and uh mickey's monkey wrote, on the I second wrote one. Too, oh, you wrote that one that wow so you, uh, you wrote all my yeah. favorites and but then I'm when like, you yeah. came out with i you know when i got to iron age because obviously i'm like I'm, I'm hearing all this 10 years later because i'm like a little kid at the time and i hear all this 10 years later it's kind of like wow because it's still got that sexy kind of funk groove to it and it's turned up it's just a bit faster it's a bit tighter it's just a bit more driven so what, what was the, the thing behind that record because you as you said you did a lot of different vibes and some more electronic stuff right because 1981 you've got this huge thing going on in america you know with um the you know the heavy metal and stuff but in england you know we're going towards you know um uh the kind of new romantic style at that point so and you you know you've been very successful in england right right what, you know, what kind of sped that whole kind of like okay we're gonna go like full-on rock now um we like uh, after we did the Mother Factor record, management, Lieber and Krebs, they wanted us to go more rock. They thought that we had more income in the rock market. Right. So we started easing ourselves back over. And we were doing tours before we recorded that record. We were going out with ACDC a little bit more and playing with Blue uh, Oyster Cold and like uh, Nugent and Aerosmith. The Aerosmith gigs were amazing. Aerosmith was a Oh God, I love that band. Yeah, Especially too. like when they were all together when um, when Joe Perry was there and it was the real band. That was the shit. Excuse yeah, me, my we, friend. We, we played with them too. And that's probably one of my greatest, funnest gigs to ever watch. You know, we, we played a couple of times with Aerosmith. Uh, they yeah, Stephen Tyler is, is, is the gospel. 
Oh my God, just incredible voice, incredible performance. It was, you know, it blew our socks off. I think we did that with um, Black Crows, Black Crows Skunk and Nancy. Black Crows, I love that band too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah but, but, but uh, we eased ourselves back into the rock world and um, then we recorded that record. Mm. And uh, we, uh, we got more success in Europe than we did in America from that record. Now, do you think that's because America wasn't ready for, you know, like Living Color was like, a, and, and that whole thing that happened with Living Color and Fishbone, like, that was a bit later. Do you think America wasn't they quite were, ready? There was a generation after us. Yeah, exactly. I talked to those guys. I know Corey, I know um, Vernon, and I know like uh, the Fishbone guys, you know, and like I- uh, Yeah, we've, had, we've, we've all had many conversations about you guys too. <laughs> All right, that's good. But, but yeah, but it was a generation back. It was Later like, on, yeah. me, like for me, Hendrix and Sly, and that was the generation. And when I was in high school, that's what I was listening to. Yeah. You know, what, what blew my mind is in the early 80s, I, I, I played with Stevie Nicks. Wow. I, I did her Wild Heart Tour. Hmm. And on that record, Prince wrote the hit single with Stevie, Stand Back, and he would come around. And the first time I saw him, you know, we were kind of quiet. I said, oh, yeah, that's Prince. And, I, you know, I, I was a fan. And then he realized who I was. And he said, God, he's a you and mother's finest. And, 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 and he told me, he said, he used to listen to MF when he would do his homework. <laughs> <laughs> he said we were in his playlist and we did his, you know, when he did his homework. And uh, that was just so cool because, you know, I always knew. I, I said, he must have heard some yeah. of MF. But when I... So Prince Live, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you can I, hear, you, know, you can I, hear I, it. You can hear it. Yeah. I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear it. But you know, like it's, it's, it's great to be a link in the chain that keeps everything moving. Hmm. And I'm really proud of MF. I mean, like you know, we didn't have huge success, but we had a shitload of fun, and we did it from our hearts, you know, and from the bottom of our. Skin, let me ask you, what is your astrological sign? Oh, me? I'm a Leo. Third of all. You're a Leo. You're a lion. I should have known. <laughs> why why'd you roar. ask? I what feel are you? the roar. Because I like to know the energy of a person. I, there was a picture of you. We played a club in the Netherlands. Yes. We're like Utrecht, and they have the pictures of all these famous people. And there's a shot of you that is so electric. I said, God, this woman, who is this? And then I'd say, okay, that's skin. And uh, <laughs> I love your energy. Thank you. And, and you're in and, and the look in your eyes, like you were looking out. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I probably lost my mind. It's like I walk on stage and I, I just turn into something else and just go, go a bit. I mean, I'm quite a quietly spoken person. And then you see me on stage and I'm like, who is that person? <laughs> that person's just gone crazy. But yeah, no, thank, thank you for that. Um, I mean, it's, 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 um, one of the most wonderful things to talk to you is about the fact that, you know, I know you've got a lot, of, a lot of stories and I'm really interested to hear more about the book because I've read in a few interviews I was doing my research that you're writing a book and, uh, and but is, is it out yet? Is it coming out? It's not out yet. And I'm, um, I've just finished all of the writing. I'm doing a little bit final editing, which is the most uh, fun part. Mm editing i can weed out all of the excess and get it condensed to where like it's you know telling a story bare and um you got a book already 
Yes. It's kind of just about how does somebody like me, a little black girl from Brixton, end up being this big old rock star. So it's kind of like the early days and the early influences and, you know, some of the awful stories and then some of the fantastic stories. Because, I mean, I don't know if it's, uh, I think it's different for, um, for American artists in some ways because, you know, you have some of those incredible people like Jack and Wilson, you have Motown, you have all these examples of black people doing lots of different type of music. Um, and in England, we didn't really have that. So I feel like my career was a bit of a pinball machine and you know, I like trying lots of different things to get to, you know, to hit the thing and come down the right way and win the game in the end, you know? So it's just a lot of stories about, um, just how I got there and how some, where some of the songs came from, you know, some, and uh, where just where we coming from a, a place where everybody goes to riot, <laughs> you know, it's like, we want to have a riot. Okay, let's go to Brixton. Come on, guys. <laughs> well, um, well. You know, so some of it's a little political and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just about the journey. I mean, I, I think that you've just got so many interesting stories to tell, but from uh, a different perspective, right? Because you've met right, everybody. Right, you know, ev everybody's journey is unique and different. And what I realized in my book is I've, you know, I've been me the whole time. And I've uh, I've taken those chances that I shouldn't be going in those doors and I've gone in there. And I mean, you know, like we're in relationships with life, with music, with love, with everything. And my children, I have two of the most amazing kids. And and I and I, I don't I don't say this because they're mine, but because they really <laughs> are like my son, Laven Kali, he 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 was in on three and a half songs on a new Beyonce record. Cool. And uh, he just released. He's releasing his what the fifth record. He's getting ready to tour America. He goes all over, all over America. And I went to see him perform for the first time in Los Angeles, and he blew me away. But uh, his sister Dayella just started going to to to, to the university. She's at Brown, and mm. uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. So when Laven plays in Boston, he's gonna have Dayella open <laughs> for him. Cool. And Dayella is she in the family, yeah. I know she's amazing. She loves Brazilian uh, music. You know, she's a Leo. She has your same energy. And uh, Dayella is beautiful, and she plays drums in the uh, like like she went to Crossroads, which is a performing arts school here in LA. Mm -hmm. And the music program is stellar. And Dayella made it up to be the drummer in the A band, the jazz wow. band, the A wow. jazz band. She would sing Night in Tunisia. She would sing and play drums in this amazing arrangement with all of these hits and kicks and everything. And me and Laban <laughs> looking at her saying, whoa, dude, check it out. <laughs> you know? I'm so yeah. jealous of these kids now. They get to go to school to study music. You know, it's like in, when we were kids that you, you could do that if you wanted to be a classical musician, but to do anything else, no, you just had to get out there and be on the streets and just meet people. I always, I always say to kids nowadays, it's like, you guys like, you know, you have social media in our, in our days. If you wanted to be in a band or find anything, you just had to go out every single night and just hang out and just be there and hear about the next party. Yeah, though. You know, I, I, I think that was the that was the golden nugget for us. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of this virtual stuff is not as fulfilling. No. And I you know, I remember going out, you know, seeing the players. I was I was fortunate. I grew up in Miami and the bass players in South Florida were the best on the planet. Mm. And um um Jocko Pistorius was a friend of mine. Like I met Jocko when I was 
13, he was 14. And what? we used to go to check out the bass players. And like, uh, uh, the reason why Jocko got to be as good as he is is because of uh, Carlos Garcia, mm. a Cuban bass player that used to play with that same technique that Jocko uses, you mm. know, really light, you know, and like muted. Fast and light and, but precise, right. yeah, really that precise. Was Carlos, that was Carlos Garcia. Wow. And uh, and Joe McIver was like a big influence of mine and Napoleon, the brother from the church. And But I mean, you know, we were blown away with the bass playing, you know, bass players in our area. And we were blessed, you know, and like they were, uh, not only were they great players, they were showmen. They used to dress up for the stage and they would perform. And it wasn't just about playing bass and, you know, over there being the bass player. No, no, no. You know, they were the main yeah. attraction. And yeah. uh, I love that. And that's what I grew up with. Same thing with Jocko. I mean, you know, you you know, you play the bass, but you're going to have to pay attention to me because this is where the shit is coming from. I mean, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Another so, bass player Cass introduced me to, actually, I would say, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I was like, what? What is he playing? So incredible. One of the things uh, reading about you and a few things is that I want to ask you because about giving the kids that are doing nowadays, because it, it feels to me, well, I think it's really true that, you know, we've gone through these stages, you know, black people created rock and roll and then it kind of went to different things and then it kind of came back to us with uh, you and Parliament Funkadelic and then it went away and it comes back with Fishbone and Living Colour, then it goes away and it comes back again with Skunk and Nancy, uh, Rage Against the Machine. And now it feels like on TikTok, there's this whole new revolution. I mean, many people now are saying it's black and brown people that are really pushing the rock back because rock has been in a bit of a desert in the last 20 years in this century. And now, you know, you know, the minute Willow Smith is doing a rock album, you know, that rock is back for the kids, you know. Um, and I was going to ask you, because one of the things I, I know about you, you guys is that you kept all your publishing. So oh, I just yeah. wanted to give you like a, a little bit of advice for the kids that are now getting into rock music now and 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 learning about all of us and my generation and you know living colors generation your generation the previous generations you know I just want to know if you had any beautiful gems of advice and wisdom. Uh, that was a big stroke of luck with uh, keeping the publishing. Mm. Uh, we were able like us initiation. Uh, our initial deal with Columbia, with CBS, was was, was sweet. Was was a big, big, and and, and a reason of, uh, it was so sweet. I feel is like we weren't interested in signing at the time. Yeah. Because we were we we were still disgruntled about the RCA record that we had. Yeah, because they just they, they, they put huh? two two of your records on the shelf, right? Didn't release them. Well, they released one, and and the, and the second one was released in two thousand three. And the first one was released in 1974. Wow, that's a long gap. Right, they put the second one on the shelf, but then CBS bought it and they released it. And I listened to it a couple of years ago. I said, "Whoa!" I mean, it was. <laughs> 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 it's really hard listening to yourself sometimes. Yeah. And uh, but 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 yeah, but you know, I love every phase. You know, I see the growth from the beginning. Yeah. To the end, but as far as the business of music, you really have to. Pay attention to it. Um, uh, um, this summer, I've been working with Keb Mo. You know who Keb Mo is? No. You would love Keb Mo. He's an alternative brother from Compton. 
Cavs won like five Grammy Awards. Oh my gosh. How do you spell it? K E B. Yeah. New word M O. Kev Mo. I'm gonna check it out. Kev Mo, yeah, that's what I've been working with this summer. And he his 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 business is so tight. He has his own studio at his house that is stellar. And his business, I mean, the way he operates is, is great. Like, like we 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 toured with Cheryl Crow the whole summer here in America. And we just did some shows with Melissa Etheridge. It was just the last night. And we did some stuff with John Fogarty and Kennedy and stuff. But we've been playing like some nice, uh, everything's been outdoors and yeah, like massive crowds and like uh, having a great time. But uh, he pays attention to his business as much as he does his songwriting and his performing. Yeah. And that's what artists would have to do because if you're gonna do this to, to survive and to live and to make a living, that's the only way to do it. Mm. Uh, and there's so I mean, many ways to do the business now, you know? Before it's like, oh, you get a deal, you sign to a record company and they take it over. Now it's just kind of like, mm, that's kind of the thing you do at the end when almost you've done your videos and you've got your social media numbers high and you've got your followers and if you've done your TikTok dance and then eventually you sign to a record deal because they don't seem to have any any A&R people working for them anymore. Yeah, you know, like a lot of that stuff has changed now. Um, you know, like when you're signed, they expect to have a hit immediately. Yeah. You don't have any growth time. You have to do that on your own. Yeah. When be like in the past, like we we were so fortunate I remember like uh, I bought the first line of Family Stone record. The first record was uh, the one with Underdog. And then the second record was Dance of the Music. And they had that single with Dance of the Music. And then they did the Life record that didn't really have any singles. And then they did the, f the fourth record, which was Stan, that had nothing but hits on it. Yeah. So they, 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 they found their way. Yeah. You know, and the label was there with them you know, putting them in positions to be seen live because they knew how vital it was live. And and and, though, and that's the part of the industry that's not here today. Mm. So, you know, they don't, a, a company don't take the time to develop the artists. Yeah. And then also it's so frustrating uh, what happened to black music in America mm. to like uh, in the 90s, late 80s, gangster rap came and uh, there were no more black bands anymore playing mm. music, like like Ohio Players, Earth, Wind, and Fire, or like um, yeah, you know, people playing music and singing. And and then the subject matter, anything that was talking about enlightenment was not cool selling. anymore. Yeah, and it was all about bitches and hoes and shooting and drive-bys and 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 you know, and and and, and it was it's such a dark turn, and we're still there. Yeah, trying to come back. I I, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a revolution on TikTok now, and a lot of black and brown artists are kind of like picking up guitars and just really pushing forward, just being great uh, rock bands and indie music bands, but doing it in a different way. Because of course, it's like you know, 21st century now. They're not gonna, they have all those influences, but you know, it's always gonna have a new modern edge on it. So, for me, that's quite encouraging that there's a bit of more light and spirituality and positivity and and just kind of um, this thing of like, yeah, black black people don't just make R and B and rap. You know, we do everything. We do absolutely everything, and we've always done everything. All those genres, rock and roll, was that came from from Africa. Jazz came from Africa. 
the blues came from Africa, uh, the gospel came from Africa, and I wouldn't be surprised if classical music came from Africa. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, it came out of Europe like with big success, but I but I would think it was in, you know, the initial idea and the concept of it. Yeah. No, uh, but so much music is uh, you know, just a variety. And we're always uh channeled down a road to be put into a box lately mm. to where, you know, the creativity is still I mean, you know, it's great. You know, the you know, the one thing I love about black culture is no matter what it is, we'll find a way to make it swing and exciting. Exactly. You know? And that's the one thing, I mean, the saving thing. I, 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 when I was writing my book and I looked back at the history of, like when the civil rights came in, I wrote all about like when Martin Luther King was assassinated, when Robert Kennedy was assassinated, when when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Anybody was trying to do the right thing, they would get blown away. But you still had to push those buttons mm. and somebody was doing it. And, and, uh, and, and that's the thing like with music, um, Music is so necessary in the world to get the truth out of life. You know, like when you, you know, people write these songs and stuff and then say, where did that idea come from? And it's coming from the universe, you know, so your collective whole, that's yeah. the energy there. It's ability to translate what you're feeling inside and how you think about things and how you think about life. You know, the translation of music is to like, well, how are you going to let everybody else feel and hear and understand what you're hearing? And that's the music. That's the translation. That's the quality of that translation is that's the artistic part for me, which I love so much. Um, and you know, that's what I love so much is talking to you. <laughs> Before I go, I want to um, ask you, um, some about your future plans. So you play with Kevmo right now, and then you've right. got a book coming out. And uh, and so, are you do you are you thinking about would you consider doing like solo stuff or is it? I mainly... got so much solo stuff. I haven't been <laughs> writing. You know, like since I've been writing my book, I put my songwriting. I took On a hold. back seat, hmm. but I have so all these ideas. I want to do a soundtrack for my book uh, because every time That's I write I hear music, mm -hmm. I'm hearing the the, the sound so. Um, that's another trajectory, but yes, I have so much music and I've got to release it as a solo artist and with projects and with MF and with Teb and with, you know, I've got to just get myself, get all this stuff out. Like, because if I don't get it out, I, I feel like I'm clogged up and I, and the, and the new won't come in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, that's lovely to hear. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me. Uh, this is the beginning of a beautiful relationship, guys. I'm just going to say that now. Um, thank you so much. It has been enlightening and lovely, and I want to talk to you again. I'm going to talk to you again when the book is out and when we've sorted all that out for you, um, because I know you have some so many uh, incredible stories to play and has been such an influence on me and my band. And Cass is going to be very, very, very jealous when I sort of enchant to you. <laughs> He's going to be so jealous. And then halfway through, I was like, I will. Halfway through, I was like, oh my God, one night. Well, I should have brought him in on the interview, but you know, you know it's too late. But thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wiz. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>